0: It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world,
1: welcome i'm dr jeremy lokebaugh industrial organizational psychology consultant and workplace communication and negotiation coach in addition to cbock.com that you just heard you can also visit my website at turnboot.com if you're in or getting into the io psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an io psych practitioner Check out CBOC's I.O. Career Pathfinder membership at CBOC.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our weekly Work Cookie podcast, uh, where we meet with IOs, HR recruiters, and one actor, and all those who look to help people in the business industry. Uh, Jeremy, today we're going to talk about how to clutch employee passions, ambitions, and talents. And I know that we've, you know, we've talked a little bit about this before you and I. But do you want to maybe start off with why you think this is important to actually? grab the attention of
1: your employees and and their passions and ambitions when we a lot of us go so it's it's said perfectly by conley and ziggurami two of the most prominent researcher passion and uh, quote exactly right the quote the particular quote is every day the spirits of millions of people die at the front place and that's a 2019 Zigrami. we'll be sharing some of the research today and most of us, and naturally so we have our work identities and then we have our personals. And sometimes we're vastly different when we're working, and sometimes it's the same person when we're working, the person and the personality and also the of the workplace in terms of how much of your professional self you need to bring. I have learned through so many experiences, through so many workshops that when that, and I'm such a big fan and pro- proponent of this, I've seen it that. No matter what someone's passion is outside of work, somehow that can be brought into their workplace. And it's interesting because the research out there and the, the research that we're going to view today, I, I haven't seen much much research in regards to what I just said and turning people's outside passions. And I, I, I can understand why. When you look up the research on employee passion, usually it becomes employee work passion. And we'll look at what, how that is different than. So most of the times we're going to going to find work passion and we'll get into defining that. We'll get into what does that in particular mean? So I'll start, I'll start out and I'll be, I'll end up sharing the, these references in the chat here. And they'll they'll also be shared of the podcast. If you're listening, this one in particular, I found pretty interesting is passion contagious transference of entrepreneurial emotion to employees. One of the things I found interesting in this. So yes, we're looking at how if you're an entrepreneur, can you transfer that passion? And there's a lot of correlations and parallels to any lead any manager in the workforce. Starting out, there's a model that is proposed. And I found this paper particularly interesting because it wasn't an actual study, it was a it was more of a literature review. And for those of you who know a literature review, if you look at a scientific study, is that research doing looking at what is known, how has this been defined, what's already known based on the the studies that have already been promoted? So this is more of a theoretical paper saying, hey, look at the look at what hasn't been identified yet, and hasn't been studied. Maybe others should study. It. So it's kind of like a it's a, a exploratory and a nudge for future exploration. What I found interesting about this is when we, look, we look at entrepreneurial passion and reading through this particular, this article, I can see plenty of parallels. For entrepreneurs, they're obviously very, they're very passionate. And you get into this thing called emotional mimicry. And you think about, Tom, you've, you've seen this and, and you're in the acting world and especially during interviews where maybe the interviewer will cross their legs and then the person they're interviewing will cross their legs. And right now, you know, we've all got our screens up. If I were to sit here and touch my face a couple of times, I guarantee one of you face. We just, we just do that. It's like a monkey, sea monkey. It's just something that we do naturally to try to relate. Same kind of thing. If you're, if you're in sales, you're taught to shake your head. Yes. Hey, do you want to buy this car? And you shake your head. Yes. And all the other sudden the other person's shaking their head. Yes. That's called emotional mimicry. Now, entrepreneurs have this passion and leaders have this, this passion and it's positive all the time that can start to rub off on employees. And they might start to feel that passion as well. But the thing is, that won't really stick. So there's other things that need to be done. And that's where when you look at this model of, okay, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business, you have passion. If you work more towards the transformational leadership aspects where you're aligning goals, you're aligning ambition, aligning talents, you're, you're uh, make what makes them tick, you're speaking their language. That's when you get into the dual effect here of not only just the passion, which is positive and intense that can rub off, but now you start to add the next ingredient. So I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to throw it back to you, Tom, because I have a lot to share already all and just take over to you.
2: Well, let me ask you, Jeremy, because, you know, we're, we're here in WorkCookie, we're we're in a bit of a bubble, you know, with IOs and HR people. And, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and understanding that passion, why should I care? Because as an entrepreneur, I'm going to care. I mean, first of all, I'm the type of, you know, entrepreneur who wants my employees to be happy. But the majority of the entrepreneurs are are going to first look at that bottom line. So do you have any numbers about how this improves productivity or the, the effectiveness of this? Um, should I be investing my time at all with this um, if it's not going to pay off financially?
1: Buddy, you should ask, Tom. I'm going to share my screen because I have a great answer for you here. And this is another article here. This is from Zigarami and some other authors. It's called Employee Work Passion Connecting the Dots. And this is based on a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of research. It says right here, this model was grounded in in a literature review of hundreds of studies and meta analysis from 1980 to 2005. Lots and lots going on here, and here's really the answer to your question. And we'll we'll turn this we'll turn this away from speaking purely. We'll we'll, we'll kind of take entrepreneur and and get that out of our vocabulary as we can for the rest, because that. Um, I think it I think it transfers you know regular leadership <clears> as we're talking about that but here we go and I'll read a little bit verbatim a little paraphrase here how is employee work passion different than engagement and we're looking at we're, for HR we're really looking at recruiting and, and turnover we want obviously people to stay and when you have more retention in the workplace that has a lot to do with work continuity skill continuity obviously you're not you know engaging in that recruiting process which is you know, work hours and all the costs that it takes. So both organizational and job factors factors influence someone's level of their actual work passion. But when you look at just engagement, it's associated with either job uh, job commitment, and here we're thinking about things like burnout and well-being, or organizational, which is their intent to stay. What is their, what are their reasons to stay? Are they emotionally attached to the, to the workplace, which is the, the best indicator that they'll stay or is it more normative? I'm staying because, um, you know, I feel I have to, they give me a job. And also if I leave, obviously I won't have a job in those, those benefits. When we look at employee work passion, we're, we're looking at social cognition appraisal theory. So now basically we're looking at not just what they're feeling, but what they're thinking as well. This whole thing of the cognition aspect, because no longer are we looking at just engagement where, all right, they're engaged, they're actively engaged, or they're actively disengaging, they're trying to sabotage your company. But here we're looking at what are their in- intentions and also that cognitive aspect of it. Now, back to your original question, Tom, because you know I love to dance around and come, you know, go around Jupiter and try to come back. All of these things, if someone is, passionate about their work. They're passionate about the organization. They're emotionally attached. They're going to get bottom line is they're going to stay and they're going to give their discretionary effort. Discretionary effort, just like discretionary spending. It's spending when you don't really have to. It's that extra money that you have in your pocket that's left over from your budget. It's the same thing with discretionary effort in the workplace. They don't really have to stay a little bit longer. They don't really have to uh, you know, help someone else with their, but that's what they do when they have that work passion and also when they're engaged because they're thinking, yes, I like the company. Yes. I want to stay. Yes. I like my work. My boss looks at what I'm passionate about, what I'm my, what my talents are. And I can go to my boss. If I, if I went to my boss and said, Hey boss, what are my biggest talents? What are my biggest skills? What am I passionate about? And what are my ambitions here or in another company? My boss is able to say, and that's a good question for all of us to ask ourselves if we asked our bosses those questions, would they be able to answer them? And for all the leaders out there, are you able to answer those questions if in fact your employees? Would? So there is a ton that goes to thinking about this passion, um, this passion concept.
2: I'll answer for the majority of leaders, no. <laughs> uh, but let me ask you because, you know, this is a great picture you're painting. But, you know, I know someone who came into an organization with all of the passion you're talking about, you know, going to bring new ideas to the organization. A year has gone by. Most of those, you know, great ideas and thoughts have been pushed to the side. And it's become mainly of, uh, well, this is the way we do it here. So just do it our way. And I'm seeing the passion just bleed out. How do you, you know, what's the trauma team for this? How do we go in and save this situation and bring that passion
1: back? That's, I used to, I used to really be hard, you know, hard line when I thought about organizations that here and it kept on. And I've kind of gone towards the middle because there is some, it, it makes sense. You know, a lot of the, you know, if you're a new employee, sometimes you might go and, and have these ideas that have already been tried. They know, they know it won't work, but then I guess on the other side of it, you as the new employee might say, "Okay, but did you do it this way? Did you do it the right way? Did you make it more than a check the box?" So it really is this this balance to strike, and it makes sense for organizations, especially those that are more that are not in the growth phase but are in the more mature phase, because mature more mature companies that aren't looking to grow, they're looking really to sustain and slowly grow. Quite frankly, they may not just want their, their those. Uh, I'll just call them crazy ideas, crazy in a good way, because they're going to be hard to implement. A lot of managers might also like the employees' ideas, but also know, look, there's a lot of red tape here. I have some political capital in the organization, but I don't have that much political capital to give. There is a way to do it, though. And what those managers and those can do is talk about those ideas. They can say, let's create maybe an idea journal. And let's review those once a month to see what might be feel, to see what resources we have. So the idea is don't pop the passion balloon of your employees when they're coming with these particular ideas, latch onto them, continue to encourage them just like you would. There's my gosh, I, I say this all the time because I believe there's so many parallels between the work kids. You don't want to kill if, if, if a kid is bringing this idea or is really passionate about something. The last thing you want to do with a child is say, oh, that's not a good idea. You want, to, you want to build that that child up. You want to get them to explore. You want to get them to involve, be involved in the creative process. And you also, with employees, you want to get them to be in the creative process, innovating, and so forth. So think about ways that you as a leader, if it can't be done now, how can you still engage that employee? Maybe you tie it into what they're passionate about. That seems like a good idea. That's something you must have thought about because you want to be a nuclear scientist. Still engage that person maybe keep some kind of an idea journal that you can look at from time to time so that employee knows that being heard and understood. And then you're also building that trust and rapport where they're going to trust you that, hey, when the time is right, we're going to need to talk about it. But at least your leader is providing me with meaningfulness, um, aligning what I'm doing with organization, the department is doing. And these are all really key dimensions to your passion.
2: There's a lot for leaders and managers to be embracing right now with all the changes that we're seeing. Uh, Do you think this is going to change the world of work?
1: What do you mean by this?
2: That these concepts I mean, we're the old paradigm is that, you know, if I'm the leader, your incentive is your paycheck. That's why you're here. That's why we're all here. We do the work, we go home. And maybe that worked for our parents. Didn't really work for us. And now we're seeing a whole, Generation, and I think people in general after the pandemic, there was a reset in their values and especially in their work life balance. So we now have the great resignation. We have people who, you know, the, the last survey I saw was, I think, in October, and something like 70 or 80% of employees are thinking of quitting and leaving if they are forced back into the nine to five Monday to Friday. And as we're shifting, to this sort of new paradigm of work, it really seems that leadership and and those people who manage others, the onus is really on them to see this new vision of, you know, treating employees like adults, you know, treating them fairly and equitably and keying into things like their passions. So do you, so, so I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I'm starting to feel a little bad for managers and leaders because they've got a lot of work to do.
1: It's a huge change. There's not a whole lot of people out there that really love change. And it's all—it's always tough. And part of that is, how will this make things better? And how can you envision out, you know, what happens if? It's about asking those questions. What happens if we do this? What happens if we start to focus on what our employees are passionate about? Again, with sticking in line with, you know, project management goals and and also looking at the, I mean, it's really a lot of this is all about the retention aspect too, because we're looking at that plus productivity, but when you're, when an employee is at your workplace and they're living within their passion every day, and they're able to, to get excited about things and not that ha- have that passion balloon pop, whether it's getting on a commit, a, you know, a work committee, whether it's an idea, whether it's, I'm excited to cross train, whether it's. Uh, I want to be an advocate for another employee, and having those kinds of ideas and whatever they're passionate about, or even creating, you know, a side you know, kayaking or bicycling group within the workplace that they can do after hours. Whatever those passions are, if you can latch on to those, it's going to be tougher tougher for an employee to say, you know, what I'm going to go to another company and just really gamble that they're going to allow me to to live my passions out during the day. And I'm really going to make that gamble that my new boss is going to be able to, after a couple months, say, yeah, I know what your passions are. Yes, I know what your ambitions are when you're without or move. Yes, I know what you're really talented about. Yes, I know what's because that's built up. And if your manager is doing that now, that all makes it tough for an employee to leave. And again, it goes back to discretionary effort. Do managers have a no, it's it's a huge paradigm shift. And think about it, too. A lot of the managers would love this themselves. So now those managers are saying, well, my manager has it tough now. So it's a lot of managing up in a lot of different senses. It wouldn't be a bad idea for a company to make some kind of initiative, not just to check the box, have it ground floor where it's conversations amongst managers, turn some meetings into meaningful meetings where they're talking about how can we get the most out of our employees? We're paying them a salary until you're really looking at what those want to and can bring to the organization. You're not really getting your money for the salaries that you're paying.
2: And with the new accounting methods, you can actually calculate that. And those employees that you retain actually increase the the positive side of your bottom line. Uh, so we might have some advice here for people. Uh, Lee, let's go to you.
3: Um, First, I want to say that you hear me, I love the idea of an idea, Journal. I hadn't actually thought of it in those terms. I, I love that idea. Um, but you know, this kind of ties into so many topics that we talk about. I mean, the the communication aspect of this is huge. And, you know, I've seen that, you know, newer person come in with uh, just bubbling with new ideas and just watch them have their soul crushed because they were just shot down. And not no explanation, no anything, just No, or even worse, that's stupid. And, you know, and and to have someone to actually sit down with them and say, uh, that's a great idea. uh, And we have tried that before and, you know, have a conversation, you know, and say, you know, this is why it didn't work before. And then, you know, do you have a different idea? You know, and, you know, and this comes back to the difference between managers and leaders too. I mean, the, you know, do what I tell you to, versus the, the more collaborative effort. And uh, and actually, I think this is something that you, where you can really kind of take a, a note from the military, too, that, you know, in the military, we're 24-7, right? So you know your people because you have to deal with your people 24-7. And, you know, something happens at two in the morning in the military, you call your boss. In the civilian world, your boss is going to be like, why the heck are you calling me? And so... You spend a lot more time getting to know your people and getting to know their family, and you know that sort of thing, than than is common today in business. You know, back in the days when people worked forty years for a company, I mean, yeah, you knew their families and else, but we don't really do that so much now. What I do see is a is a potential for a huge paradigm shift here, because when we get more collaborative and when we do uh, shifting teams. Uh, we actually had a really fascinating conversation on teams makeup yesterday and about how don't just stick somebody in a team and forget about them, but change it up by the task. So instead of locking someone into a particular job title and job description, allow people to move around as the work changes. And so, you know, if, if Bobby has got a particular skill set that will work on a particular project, great. Let him move to that and then let Susie, who has a different skill set, move over to take, you know, whatever that was. And so everybody improves, everybody's happier because they're doing something they're enjoying. And on top of the employee buy-in, when you really get people passionate about what they're doing, they think, they feel listened to, they feel like their ideas are valued, uh, even if they're not implemented. Then you have the, the, the benefit we've talked about, about them staying, but you also have the added benefit of when somebody says, hey, where do you work? And they're like, oh man, I work for the best place ever. And, you know, and you've seen these people that, you know, they just they're glowing. I mean, they're out wearing shirts with their employer's name on it and stuff. You know, they're 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 advertising, you know, the best advertising you're going to get. And we have to change because, you know, even if you're in the fast lane, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. So we got to change.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, we, I recently had a conversation with Glenn Godette, who is the co-founder of Gagalamp. And he talks about how you can actually use your employees to you know, become advocates for your organization. And he invites all of his employees to go on, you know, websites like Glassdoor and and you know, rate the company because he wants people to understand what it's really like to work there. Jeannie, let's go to you.
4: So I wanted to say, you know, there's a couple of things that I and Jeremy had said, you know, and Lee both where the organizations, there's such a thing that's called change fatigue, where the companies go through over and over and over again and try different things. And people, employees get sick of trying and and changing. Um, But a company that has an official organized change management program um, I mean, there's a lot of different ones out there. Six Sigma is one of them, um, but there's also a continuous improvement where it, it really specifies a structured way to manage that change where they define the current problem. They research what has been done in the past. They analyze what the current state is and what the problem is and um, then they try, do the scientific method where they form a hypothesis and they try one thing at a time. And then they go back to analyzing and see how that one thing works. And um, and by continuously changing and figuring things out, then um, the company does make progress. And if they say, oh, that didn't work, let's try something else. It's also a way of managing Your employee buy-in, if you work on it as a team and get the whole team involved and have um, members of the team each brainstorm and then decide upon what the problem is and what the course is that they want to change, you'll gain more of that employee buy-in and you'll gain some of that passion back from the, the old people and the new, new people, because you're actually asking for their opinions and you're asking for, uh, you know, what, what will work better.
2: And, you know, Jeannie, I think you, you've hit on something really important that you've got to bring the expert in, that, you know, you, you need that expertise. Um, we all have smartphones now and, and I can tell you, you know, there's a small production studio in your smartphone. But I wouldn't recommend you go out and shoot a feature film with it unless you have some expertise behind you. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Oh, wait, Jeremy, I think you're back. Yeah,
1: if I I, I may, if I may, I wanted to share this. It'll provide a nice baseline for some of the, um, you know, the questions that, that are asked when you look at passion. And I love what Jeannie said about going through these things in a systematic way. That's really important. Is the change actually needed feasible and really profitable is what I feel. So what what I'm sharing right now, and this is from, for those of you listening, this is from the uh, article, three-factor model of employee passion and empirical study in the Indian context. Right now, these are some I wanted to share and also some of the correlations. So when you look at, so we're looking at four different things, work cognition, what you think about it, work affect, how you feel about it, work rumination, what you're thinking and how much you're thinking and job well-being. So these are the things that, that have good correlations with employee passion. When people are able to say, I am placed at the right place for as per proficiency. So I'm working in the right place for proficiency. I find my job to be meaningful in this organization. I'm able to conceive new ideas, do the job in a better way. I find my workplace to be a breeding ground of new ideas. Those four factors are uh, have good correlations with, with work cognition and employee passion. Work affect, they are able to say, I'm enthusiastic about my job. I'm interested to master all the skills related to my job. I'm inspired to achieve excellence at my job. And I always take pride in my work. Always is my work. Now, this is also... So workroom, if you're able to say, I avoid thinking about my job in leisure hours, then it seems like you have more work passion. Now, this these two next ones are negatively correlated with work passion. I think about my job while commuting, my work while commuting, or I think about my work while doing. If you're doing that, that you likely have low work passion because those are negative correlates. However, when you read further into the study, thinking about your work when you're off, while you're driving to work, when you're doing other things, that can good. That can have benefits because then you're looking at creative. That can signal to passion. But in general, we're looking at that as controlled. So if you have controlled thinking about your work during leisure hours, other things. But this is why it says rumination. Rumination really refers to thoughts, more uncontrolled thoughts. In a sense, when, we, when you look at the clinical psychology, rumination meaning is what that means, ruminating thoughts. And then also, if you're able to say, my job makes me feel excited, my job makes me feel energetic, my job makes me calm. Those also have good quality work. Passion. Tom, over to you. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. There are a
5: few things that are coming to mind as I'm listening here. I think one of the first things that is important to differentiate is passion and being good at something. Just because... An individual is good at something doesn't mean they're passionate about this. And um, I've seen firsthand a young MBA uh, started with a company. And after the first six months, her boss asked her to answer the phones because she was better at it than everybody else. She was really good on the phone. And she told him flat, no, she was telling me this story. She told him flat, no, I didn't get an MBA to answer phones. I could have stopped at high school. And uh, she was so incensed, she was ready to quit, but uh, her boss backed off. I guess he realized how ridiculous of an assumption that was, that just because you're good at something, this is where you should be, regardless of where you intended to be with the company. So that's something to consider, that what a person is good at is not necessarily their passion. They're just good at it. And then from there, I look at employees who have um, high level of work ethic, conscientious employees who always strive to do a good job. They're out there who just no matter what job you give them, they strive to do a good job because this is their work ethic and this is who they are. That doesn't mean that they're passionate about every single task they're doing. And the third thing that I'm thinking about as I'm listening here is that, you know, there are still people out there, employees out there who keep work and their personal stuff, personal lives, separate. So they have no need or desire to bring their passion that they have in their personal life into work. As long as they don't dislike their work, it's a means to an end. They go home and do their passion stuff. So, you know, it's a balance. We really need to pay attention. Organizations have a tall order here because if we're promoting something and an organization just jumps right in all the way, you might be stepping on some toes and making assumptions that aren't necessarily going to be helpful.
2: Once again, you might want to start with an I.O. <laughs> just to assess the situation going on in your organization to see what you might actually really need. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you.
6: So I um, see this as a, a huge opportunity because where I've worked and, and how I've had the human the, uh, performance management process work has been a tool to communicate all of these things. And so not only was there um a quantifiable section uh where you're okay how are your communication skills you do the self-review and you rank yourself on that and then the um, manager ranks you on those that particular skill or whatever and you're looking for discrepancy and are you perceiving the way I'm doing it the same way I'm you're perceiving the, the the way I'm perceiving the, the effort and so it identifies areas for discussion where you're not seeing seeing things the same way. So there was a whole nother qualitative section that had uh, questions that asked for different things. What's your most important? Um, achievement of the past year what's your best learning experience what sort of training and personal growth experiences would benefit you in the next year you know not just job skills also your natural strengths and passions that you'd like to develop what's your level of satisfaction with your projects and and it would go on even and for managers it was as a manager what have you done the past year to promote the development of your staff and um you know, so it goes, it goes on. What's the most, what are you perceiving as the most important goals and tasks? And, you know, what can we do to improve the firm? And are you familiar, are you happy with the level of feedback you're getting and all those kinds of things? And and then there's the evaluation of how did you accomplish, how did you perform against your goals? And we would take the uh, employees out for lunch and whatever but the conversations would last two hours maybe more in some cases but that was the annual review and that's an investment in your employees and they saw it as that and they appreciated it so much and they communicated their appreciation on that and you became aware of you know what projects did they want to work on because think about this if you're sitting there and you there's a certain kind of project or whatever it is that you'd like to work on. And you see it given to somebody, you know, two doors down and for, for whatever reason. And you would want to get you get frustrated. Right. It's like, damn, I really would have liked that project. Well, nobody knew. Right. So um, it and then the the manager, it's their job to do this stuff. We're talking about people, you know, all the things that managers have to do and whatever. Know that I spent time to train those managers how to do these. The performance evaluation was structured so that it stepped them through the conversation. They had a tool there to use to, to direct that conversation, make sure they hit all those points, gather all that information. Now the managers should have the bigger picture in mind. Okay. We're going down this road for the coming year. How do I place everybody? How do I? I don't know how you want to call it, um, strategize for how I'm going to use my talents um, with my team. But but that's the art of management. But there's ways to train people and there's tools to use and there's tools that can be structured to get you there so that you have this information and the communication has taken place.
2: One of the reasons I, I love talking to you, Linda Ann, is that your views are proactive, that these are really the things HR should be doing. But I find most HR departments are reactive. They're you know, waiting for the next problem. So how does HR make that shift become more proactive and, in my mind, really an integral part of the success of this organization?
5: There's
6: two things. One, there needs to be a change in perception. And I get frustrated when I'm working with people that I know in industry and we're talking about certain situations in human resources and they are very um, passive right? Human resources is not a passive position, but it's been treated that way. It's been treated as a glorified administrator. And and human resources is not that. They can contribute so much more. And I'm going to tell you, it takes courage and it's not easy to be that person in an organization who hasn't made that mental shift yet. But it's, it's our job to get us there. And the benefit to it, the outcome is when you have done this, Your job as a manager is actually easier.
2: Yeah, I think that's the message we really need to get out. But thank you very much for that. Brendan, let's go to you next.
7: So I wrote a couple of things down. Um, Definitely what and Ann is saying is that this idea that HR is so administrative and they can only do this, but... I can't help but so, at least in my experience, a lot of that is just a philosophy that comes down from the executive level where it's, no, this is all you're supposed to do. And it's like, okay, but that's fine. But as a consultant, I can do so much more than that. And I'm going to show you that. Um, so leading into that also is, I think this is very relative to pay philosophies when you when you think about this conversation, because you have people now who are going well. I want to get paid for the work I did, versus, and that's why I should be getting this twenty thousand dollar raise or whatever it is. Whereas the common philosophy is, no, you're getting this pay raise for the work that you're about to do, and you know that's where bonuses obviously are supposed to come in pe- play for the previous work. But if if your company doesn't do bonuses, it's, it's it's a pay philosophy issue. And then when you are trying to monitor, you know, this work engagement um i i had to write down ocbs because i the idea of organizational citizenship behavior if you don't see people participating in any of this different programs that you have that are geared towards employee engagement then they're checked out you know ocbs is as simple as hey the coffee pots out and let me run another pot so that the next person goes to get it and it's fresh whereas somebody else will just go yeah i'm getting the last cup and screw the next person So, you know, there's a lot of stats, quality stats, just in those observations.
2: Oh, the old coffee conundrum. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I I face that one often. Dr. Martha, let's go to you.
5: I really like what Linda Ann was saying, because it made me think about what a a review should be versus the standard review, where it's very much a one-way conversation. And then I thought about Training for managers. Because as you said, Tom, there's so much that falls on managers as we're all going through this change. And, you know, being in mid management, you get it from both sides. But how much training are you getting? Even before we started all of this change that we're living through, I think that was one of the biggest problems. People were put into management positions in so many cases. And it was assumed that they had people skills, management skills, or any kind of skills. They were promoted because maybe they had a certain degree or maybe they've been with the company long enough. So while we are recognizing how much is falling on the managers, what are we doing to help them? And as Linda Ann was talking, that that's the first thing I thought about. What are we doing to prepare these Poor people to handle this massive change because now they're taking responsibility for seemingly everything when it comes to the employee and their well-being.
2: Do you, you know we've often talked about you know I O being the <laughs> the the longest career that you've never heard about. Um, do you think that part of what we're seeing is that lack of education that those mid-level managers? just don't know there's IOs around or that, you know, they can get special help through the HR department. And, and we've got to once again, promote the message.
5: Absolutely. Not only the middle managers, but organizations in general, how many people have no idea what an IO psychologist is. You tell them what you do for a living and, you've got that blank stare you have to explain so that is part of the issue if the organization isn't already set up to provide the right kind of training and nobody knows that there's help out there there are people who actually do this for a living can help you um, professionally with this then we're all kind of just swimming in the pool hoping not to drown.
2: Yeah and, and Linda and you know what NIO is so let's go to you. I wanted to address um,
6: the one thing that that Brendan was talking about as far as the pay issue, and that was also part of the um, communication that we asked for from the employees in the self evaluations. And that would, and and I'll tell you why I did that. <laughs> the one of the questions at the very end of that particular self evaluation was, you know, do you expect a pay raise, and and what is it, and then how will you just, how can you justify asking for that raise? What's the justification for that raise? So we asked them, what were they were expecting in the way of their performance, their salary increase, and then why they, why they thought they deserved that. And so they had to come up with, well, I did X, Y, and Z. And sometimes, you know, that's, News to the manager that they didn't accomplish that, you know, they they or they didn't realize that that was accomplished. The reason that was done was I had been I couldn't believe it. it was horrible. One of the first performance reviews I had gone into with this particular company, they had the the structure that they were using. They they conducted the review and then at the end, the manager told them what their pay raise or whatever, what he expected to give them was. And the employee was was so upset by that particular pay raise. So what the information did when you give someone what your expectation is, then that employer can go, okay, here's the expectation. Now I can prepare for, this is why I can give you that, or I can't give you that and give you some justification, but the person doesn't leave at that point going, you know, how fast can I get my resume out the door on Saturday? You know, so it, it, it totally changes some of the dynamic and, and prevents that. I mean, so they left that, that particular performance review. So, uh, you know, it was an extremely negative experience.
2: <laughs> well, well, let me ask you because, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, communication skills and evaluations. And my experience is that when you give someone an evaluation on their communication skills, they go, yeah, I can communicate really well, when the truth is, you can't. So, <laughs> are, are sometimes, do we have to look at those areas like communication skills and go, I may know a lot, but there's always more I can learn?
6: Oh, absolutely. And even in the Qual- the quantitative section, there was expl- there was areas for explanation. So this is, you know, I'm rating myself a four because X, Y, and Z, or the the employer or so or the manager saying I'm giving you a two because of X, Y, and Z. And so there's that that sharing of information for here's what what's going on. We have to talk about what's going on.
2: Yeah, and from that we can set a direction and we can move forward. Uh, Jeremy, let's go to you.
1: I'm really, I was really looking forward to this today and it, it all holds true. This is so exciting. I love everyone's comments and the great insights that we're, we're coming up with. I'm going to share my screen. And I'm also, for those of you listening to the podcast, I'm going to, Tom, can you see my screen? Yes, I can. Hey, Tom, that's good news. I'm going to share, so going back to the the this particular article, Employee Work Passion, Connecting the Dots. It's by Zigrami. Uh, house and Wit and Deal, and starting out. So it's it's a publication. Looks like from the Kim, Kim Blanchard companies, and most people have heard books on leadership, et cetera. They started out and they 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 did this study. The, the bottom line of the particular study that they did, uh, they create. They were creating this model that they ended up titling the Leadership Profit Chain. And the study found that employee work passion was a key factor in creating customer devotion and organizational vitality. So that's one of the, actually one of the findings there. But what I want to do is I want to run through, because this is important. It might, you know, might (laughs) the energy might go down for a little bit for the next couple of minutes, but I think these factors are important. So we're going to talk, I'm going to share what they found and they actually narrowed down. Uh, into the organizational factors, job factors, moderating factors, and also the intent through all of this 25 years of. So fi- I'm, I'm referring here to figure one. You guys can see it uh, that are us today. Employee work, passion factors, organizational are collaboration, distributive justice, and that means the extent to which compensation, workloads versus all those things are balanced out. Procedural justice, the extent to which policies and procedures are consistently applied. <clears throat> growth, the extent to which there's support for current and future career growth, I mean individual, performing, performance expectations. Then I'm going to go to job factors, meaningful work, autonomy, and I, autonomy is so important. I'm going to read how they define it. The extent to which individuals can choose how tasks are performed, are trusted to do their jobs and have the authority to make decisions. Autonomy is such a big... Feedback, how do, how much adequate feedback and how often do they receive that? Workload balance, task variety, the moderating factors. So here are the things that have, you know, pushed something one way or the other. And that's what we're looking at for the moderating factors and connectedness to their leader. How well is their leader building rapport and building those personal and professional relationships? Same thing with colleagues, connectedness to colleagues. And then intentions here, discretionary effort, which we covered quite a bit earlier. How much extra effort are they spending on behalf of the organization beyond agreed upon requirements? Intent to perform the extent to which the individual intends to do his or her job well and work effectively to help the organization. What we refer to as OCB, Organizational Citizenship Behaviors, the extent to which the individual is supporting fellow workers and behaving in ways that are respectful, considerate, and sensitive to others. Employee endorsements. This looks like a little bit of the employer brand stuff, Tom, that we talk about a lot. Maybe just the under under the extent to which the individual readily endorses the organization to others as a good place to work and as a quality supplier of goods and services. And then also, of course, intent to remain how much do you to stay at the current? Order? And let's follow up with work, employ, excuse me, this is employee work passion defined. Employee work passion is, according, everyone's got different definitions, this is how they defined it. An individual's persistent, emotionally positive, meaning-based state of well-being stemming from continuous recurring cognitive and affective appraisals of various job and organizational situations which results in consistent constructive work interactions and behavior tom i mentioned that the energy would go down a little bit because i had to breathe so much although it was so important so how would you evaluate me i got it at the end i decided to use pauses and changes in the tonality of my voice to make it and pitch just to make it a little more exciting
2: uh, I think you're getting there, Jeremy, but I, I did learn a second language while you were speaking. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. always room for improvement.
1: <laughs> That's why I started chuckling when I read employee uh, passions defined, because, the, again, this is part of the problem is are we really speaking the language of, of of other people? So, yeah, it's a it's a little there and we'll try to make it a little. here. <laughs> okay. well, let's go to you.
6: I just want to respond to something in the chat from uh, Deanna, and that was. She's talking about how if we're doing, um, we're talking about performance and separating the pay conversation from the performance conversation. And I think there's, I know there's some, I've been through that transition as well. Um, I think it really depends on your level of how you're doing salaries and are you doing merit pay and are you doing merit pay well? And so I, um, I think that needs to be a very careful process um, because I think it can be very demotivating depending on the environment. If it's, if it's set up to be a merit pay situation and you're not having that direct correlation or having people understand their direct correlation or feeling like they have an impact on that, then it can be very demotivating. Like why should I put the extra effort? So I think that that is a really important conversation to have, but um, So I think you have to be very careful about it.
2: Uh, Let me just, uh, we're down in just a couple of minutes, but uh, you've raised an issue and and a question popped into my mind. And it's looking at the new accounting methods that are coming on stream now. And the notion that you may be paying a certain employee $100,000 a year, but the true value that you're recording on your balance sheet, the value of that employee is $200,000 a year. Does that now become part of the salary discussion?
6: I, 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 so I've i had those conversations where employees perceive that, right? Where they think, okay, well, I brought in this huge client, so I should get this huge raise. That's really not how it works. There's so much more to that conversation. And if you want to go through the complete accounting process, well, that's fine. But um, yeah, that I would...
2: Well, I personally don't want to go through the-, <laughs> the process, but I think that discussion is coming. So it'll be interesting uh, when we get to that point. Uh, Jeremy, uh, we're out of time for this week, but I see that there is a Mind Trap game coming up tomorrow.
1: Yes, tomorrow it is a... Brendan is leading our Pathfinder member Mind Trap game at noon Eastern. So if you're a member, log into your portal or check one of the recent emails that were sent out for the link to that, please join us. And thank you, Brendan, for leading that. I also want to mention Destiny and I recorded this morning a, po- a Veterans Day podcast, which you know, I, I, of course I feel is amazing because it was a great time. So those of you here uh, and those of you listening to the podcast, it'll you'll, it'll come out before you hear it, but still catch it. That'll be posting tomorrow, Friday, probably around 7.30 a.m. So uh, happy Veterans Day and thank you for all who served. That podcast will come out tomorrow morning, so please check that one out. Also, there are a couple of guide, downloadable free guides on the CBAC website under resources. And there is some information on this employee work passion and talents and how that plays into onboarding, how that plays in. Uh, management and effective management. So there's a couple of free guides that include the topic of today. And I'll also quickly mention check out the seabok.com slash events page. Next week our topic is promoting peer-to-peer recognition in any workplace. And that will be Dr. Destiny Preet and Tom Bradshaw leading that one. Our main event for this month is The workshop that we have on November 17th at 1P, it is employee engagement and appreciation for your workplace. And of course, we have Pathfinder peer group meetup later in the month. Uh, We have our biweekly momentum sessions. And next Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., joint networking event between Seabach and Destiny Preet's IO military at 6.30. So check out the events page for that. Tom, that's all I got.
2: And with that, I think we should wrap it up. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. And we will see you again in one week's time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOK podcast.